0: Well, you're in the little book of Philemon, right before the book of Hebrews, there is a little letter there, Philemon. I've heard some people say, I didn't even know that book existed or that page was in my Bible or that letter was there. We say it's a book, it's actually a letter. And we're going to start a study that I think everybody in our church needs, including me, uh... And it's a study that I think is very vital to our relationships. As we are dealing with the letter to Philemon, it's a letter about a relationship that needed to be fixed and needed to be mended. It was on the rocks. There was emotion. There was anger. There was uh, betrayal. And there was a lot at stake. And Paul seems to be this bridge builder between these two individuals that needed to reconcile. And in the process of all of this, One of the individuals came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, His personal Savior and Lord, through Paul's ministry. And so let's look. We're going to be reading verses 4 down through 7 again. Uh, If you want a title, here it is, A Course on Communication, Part 1. A Course on Communication. Anybody in the house let's just be honest, need help in the area of knowing how to communicate. We no longer communicate. We don't have to. No face-to-face, in-person, warm bodies, sitting together, cup of coffee, talking. We don't have to do that anymore. Convenience has now replaced conversation. We just shoot you a text and we don't talk. And we have taken the intimacy and the personalness out of our relationships. I like talking to somebody. I like looking people in the face when I talk to them. I like for them to look at me. I like to see what their emotions are, what their reactions are. So, of course, in communication. Verse number four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. you. I open up with a quote that I think is very fitting and I quote I consider that one of the great lacks of the church nowadays is not so much Christian preaching as Christians talking not so much Christian prayer in the prayer meeting as Christian conversation in the parlor, end quote. That was from Charles Spurgeon. One essential element to any relationship is the element of affirmation. What is affirmation? What is words of affirmation? They're words of appreciation, words of respect, words that are positive, loving words, compliments. Words of encouragement. It's you and I noticing the detail of people's lives. We're sensitive to the, to the surroundings of their life at that moment. And we know exactly what to say to make people feel better. Now I want you to note in verses 4-7, through seven, Paul begins on the right foot. I mean... What were his intentions by beginning this letter on such a positive note? I mean, he really knows how to converse with somebody. And he's very wise in how he approaches Philemon in this letter. First of all, Paul wanted to and needed to de-escalate emotions Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. Philemon's emotions were running high. Philemon had been betrayed, lied to, probably invested in this uh, individual's life and then him turn around and steal and then run away. Paul's having to work through the emotion of that. Another one of Paul's intentions is to remind Philemon of the radical change that Jesus has brought to his life as an individual. Paul wanted to put Philemon in a corner, so to speak. By him opening up the letter this way, Paul really wanted to shove Philemon in a corner, giving him no other alternative but restoration and forgiveness. A fourth intention That Paul had was to remind Philemon what was at stake. There was a church at stake. There were other believers at stake. Jesus' name was at stake. His own testimony was at stake. The risk of affecting people negatively. That's what was at stake. Holding on to this grudge. Holding on to these emotions. So it comes down to one simple logical question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to really make this thing bigger than it really is? pick your battles right weigh out the pros and the cons is it going to matter in the end? We don't even know what Onesimus stole from Philemon and and, and we're not we can't go to speculating what it is, but what did, what would it really matter all this that's at stake man if we would think that way when we go to Conversing with people. Does it really matter? Do I really have to make that point? Pick your battles, right? Let me give you some objectives to this study because I think it's really going to help us. First of all, one of our objectives is we want God to teach us how to talk. I think we've lost that art of talking. Conversing. And and number two, we need to learn how to talk intentionally. Intentionally. how we say it, what we say, why we say when we say it, where we say it. Talk orderly. There's an order here to this letter. Paul really is very wise in writing this letter. Let me give you a little biblical trivia. This is the only letter Paul ever wrote with his own hand. The only one. He had a scribe, he always had somebody there writing for him, Luke and all these other ones relaying the message. And this this is a very personal letter with the purpose of reconciliation. And Paul is teaching us how to how to approach the hard talks sometimes that has to be in relationships. You ever had that? Paul is teaching us not to be afraid to have the hard conversations. It's a matter of life and death. The relationship is kind of teetering on this thing. Some of us are overdue with the hard conversations. We don't know how to we don't know how. We don't know why. We don't know where. We don't know when. We don't know We don't we just don't know. And our fifth objective is compliments become corridors to the deeper issues. If you can't say nothing nice, finish it. Don't say nothing at all. And sometimes the nice word is what gets your foot in the door to finding resolutions. Learning how to converse. I want to read a, a verse for you. You can write it down you want to for a, for a reference. It's in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs 18, and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Get this. Words have life but words can bring death. And the choice is ours. Words can bring life or words can bring death. And the choice is ours. There are no such thing as neutral words. There are no such thing as neutral words. They're either words of life or they're words of death. And we choose what we What what the objective of that word is. What that conversation, what the end result will be. Words have direction. They're moving in the life direction. Encouraging words, hopeful words, loving words, peaceful words, uniting words, instructing, wisdom, correction. But then the, the Bible tells us that words can move in the direction of death, anger, malice, slander, jealousy, gossip, division, Violence, judgment, condemnation. We choose what direction those words are going in. Let me say this to you, and this is not in my notes, but I just thought of this. We already know the intent of our words before they come out of our mouth. Am I going to speak life into this person or am I going to speak death into this person? We need to learn how to communicate, ladies and gentlemen. Our relationships are teetering on that. So let me give you this morning three of the six ingredients. So you have to come back next Sunday and get the other three. And they're right here. If you're back in Philemon, they're right here in verses 4 through 7. So let's just chop this apart uh, if we can. So I'm going to give you... Three ingredients of effective words of affirmation. I think we need to learn how to affirm one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as church family, as friends, as husbands affirming wives, wives affirming husbands, parents affirming their children, grandparents affirming their grandchildren. We need to learn the art of affirmation. Let's, let's put it in layman's terms. Everybody every once in a while needs a pat on the back. You say, I don't do this for a pat on the back. No, and neither do I. But everybody needs a compliment. every once in a while it's nice. And it's not to build up our ego or to make you feel like you're the you've arrived and you're the Christian of all Christians. But we are instructed in the Word of God to encourage one another, to build one another up, to lift one another up, to admonish one another, to affirm each other in the faith. And we've lost that. It's almost become this false humility. Well, you know, Pastor, I'm not all about the pat on the backs. I'm a servant of the Lord. That is a a form of pride, my friend. That's a form of pride. Do you realize that Jesus affirmed people? He affirmed so many people in His ministry. Affirmed them and reaffirmed them and and, and spoke into their life, life, life. And I think we need to learn this. And Paul, listen, Paul here is so wise in how he approaches this very sensitive issue in Philemon's life. He's got a guy that has betrayed him, stole from him, ran to Rome, thought he would kind of hide in the mix, ran into Paul, God saved him, God what? Paul sent him back to Philemon. I mean, Paul is right here being what you and I need to be bridge builders. And then he writes, listen, he writes this letter and puts it in the very hand of the one person that Philemon's got a problem with. And get this. Paul is so smart. He doesn't just open the letter up and say, look, man, you need to learn to forgive. Well, you're not going to get very far that way. You need to get right with God, Philemon. You need to quit harboring those feelings. Get over it, man. Grow up. How far do you think Paul's going to get with Philemon with that kind of opening argument? Not very far. He's already, what, emotional. He's already upset. This is already a touchy subject. So Paul gives us a very orderly way of conversing with people. So let's get into it. Three ingredients. If you write this down, three ingredients of effective words of affirmation. Effective words of affirmation. Number one, the word of appreciation. The the ingredient number one, words of affirmation express appreciation. Words of affirmation express appreciation. People need to know they are appreciated. People need to know that. So let me ask you something. Personal reflection moment. Think about this. Can you think of somebody that is overdue a word of appreciation? Somebody that's way overdue, a word of appreciation. What is a word of appreciation? It's when a person's worth and value is expressed and you are telling them, I love who you are and this is what you bring to my life and I love it. I appreciate that. I appreciate who you are and I appreciate who you bring to what you bring to my life. Survival of the relationship is predicated on whether a person feels appreciated or not. What did Paul say? Look in verse 4. I thank God for you, Philemon. A word of appreciation. Man, I thank God for you, Philemon. I thank God for the man you are. I thank God for what you bring to my life. How long has it been since you've thanked God for your wife, or thank God for your husband, and thank God for your children? But how long has it been since you verbally affirmed that person in your home? I, Honey, I love the way you are and who you are and what you bring to my life. People need to know that they're appreciated, church. Relationships become strained because people just don't feel appreciated. People need to feel seen. People need to feel liked. People need to feel valued. People need to feel they have meaning and they connect. Appreciation gives this sense of importance. You matter. You matter to me. That's what Paul's doing here. They bring something to life. They make a difference in my life. So, ingredient number one words of affirmation express appreciation. Ingredient number two words of affirmation are effective by being authentic. Let me tell you something. We ought to be about building authentic relationships, not artificial ones. We need authentic relationships. And what does that mean? Be real. Be real. Talk from the heart. Listen, what he, look what he said in verse 5. This is authentic. This is authentic because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Being real is vital to a long-term, positive, productive relationship. What does it mean to be real in a relationship? It is the why behind the relationship. Why I love you. Why I appreciate. Not just say in general terms, you know, I, I really, I'm thankful for you. No, tell them why. That's authentic. Let me tell you why you mean this much to me. What really stands out? What gets your attention? Man, yes. Here's something. What details affect my life in a positive way? See, most relationships lack why. We're too busy with our own lives to pay attention to other people's lives. So I really couldn't tell you why of that relationship. I've been married for 30 years. And I learn new whys all the time of why I married this woman. All the time. That's why. That's why. That's why. That's why. Authentic. You know, that's why. Real. Not artificial. Listen to me. For relationships to survive, they must be authentic by nature. We can't, listen. Don't use some clever, manipulative maneuver to gain leverage over that person. Let me say, what does that mean? Don't overdo it, dude. Because they'll see right through it. Be real. Generalization denotes artificial relationship. You can't think of why. Paul said, let me tell you why I thank God for you. Your faith and your love really stand out to me, Philemon. That is that is that's that's a real relationship. Are y'all tracking? You have to, listen, this is a great place for amen. When are we going to start intentionally looking for the good in people? That's what why is. I'm looking for that. Every day I get up, I'm looking for it. Because let me tell you what's, what's easy for you to do. <laughs> Find what ain't good. But to look for that good. Oh, that's what makes her so unique. That's what makes him so him. Yeah, look for some good. How do you look for good in people? Let's learn this. You want to learn this? I wish I had my little board up here. How do we look for the good in people? Well, number one, you've got to look for their strengths instead of their weaknesses. You know what Paul said? I love your faith, and I really love your love for people. Two strengths, two strengths. Here's another thing. Orders everything. If you start on the right foot, talk positively. When you enter into that conversation, you got to go the right way into that thing. The best way to start a conversation is ask God to be a part of it. Right? Here's another way you can look for the good in people. Point out their uniqueness. That's what makes you you. Do you understand something? Let me let me talk to married couples just for a split second. Without the sweat factor kicking in. Okay? And the fidgety, Okay? Your mate is the only one like that. You ought to celebrate that uniqueness. When God made you, He broke the mold. You're it. There's no other like. And you got the blessing and the privilege and honor for that person to be yours i am telling you that's what that that's how you look for good in people. There's no one like you, and I like that you know this is not an assembly line creator man this is a uh, individuals unique got 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 their own little yes about them. You see what I'm saying. When Paul wrote this in verse 5, this is, this is a Bible study moment. It's in the present tense in the Greek. You know what he's saying? Philemon, you don't only have faith and have love. It actually defines your life. You live it every day. So it's in the present tense. He's not saying, man, you've had faith and you've had love. He said this is what defines you. This is what makes you stand out. You live it every day. You've got faith, you've got love. You've got love, you have faith. It was Philemon's mantra, motivation, his, men, his mission. When faith is authentic, love becomes authentic. It's the glue that holds a relationship together. So if I'm right with God, I will be right with whoever I'm in a relationship with. And here's what you need to understand. If belief determines behavior, look how smart Paul is. How, listen, if belief determines behavior, and Paul just started out... With this letter. Hey, I love your faith, Philemon. And I love your love that you have for all saints. So if my belief determines my behavior, how can I not not forgive Onesimus? I have to. You see where he, he put him in a corner real quick. Amen? Because if Philemon failed to forgive Onesimus, Paul's lied about his character. You don't love everybody. Here, here's what's important. What I do is a direct result of who I am. You see what I'm saying? So how you are is who you are. So how you act is who you are. Who I am is it has a direct effect on how I what? Do things. You see what I'm saying? Let me give you some quick references, right in your notes. 1 John 3:14. 1 John 4:20, 20, Matthew 22. Verses 36 to 40, it talks about your actions being a direct result of who you are. If you say you love the Lord and you don't love your brother, you're a liar, John said. You have to love people if you love God. Amen? I have to love my wife as Christ loved the church. If I'm a believer, I'm I'm, I'm commanded to do that. Right? Right? So second ingredient, words of affirmation are effective by being authentic. Here's the third ingredient. Words of affirmation encourage to inspire aspire people. Now this is a great point, and I'm just about done. Look at verse number 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Look at me. If you are not aspiring your spouse or your children or your grandchildren or fellow believers, you have failed at communicating. Because when you talk to people, you want to talk what? Life into their life and what? Aspire them to be the best they could be for the glory of God. That's the way you talk to people. Amen. Now, I'm not talking about sitting around drinking coffee, talking about the football game or whatever we talk about. That's a whole different kind of conversation. That's called fellowship, just sitting around talking. We're going to do that this afternoon around some good eating and, and cookies and, and Christmas carols. We're, that's, I'm talking about conversing, have conversating with people. We have got to understand that when I talk to somebody, my aim is what? I'm trying to do what? Aspire them to do better, be better for the glory of God. Amen. Look what did you see what Paul said in verse 6? I am praying that and, and as you share your faith that you're effective. You're effective. You're effective Philemon. Affirming people has listen, it's got to challenge them to move past mediocrity. You see what I'm saying? When you talk to people, and you converse with people, you're moving them past mediocrity to doing more and being more for the glory of God. If I'm not challenging people in their faith, then guess what you're doing? You're crippling them. You're crippling these people if you're not challenging them in their faith. By the way you speak to them. Affirmation points people to the ultimate goal of life. Do y'all know what the ultimate goal of life is? The Bible tells us what the ultimate goal of life is. Flip over to Philippians. I'm going to give you the ultimate goal of life. Okay? It's not money. It's not a good career path. Okay? Here is the goal to life. So here, here's, here's the deal. If I'm conversing with you as your pastor out in the foyer or whatever, we're, just, we're, having, we're having a conversation. We're not just talking, just fellowship. We're, con- we're conversing. My goal should be what? To pull you from living a mediocre life to living a much better, more in-depth, doing more, being more for the glory of God. All right, you parents should be doing that to your children. you wives should be doing that to your husbands. you husbands should be doing that to your wives. I want you to be more and do more for the glory of god you're bringing them from here to here you're making them move they're striving hey, I want you to listen, I want you to be effective in life. This is how you do that so listen we listen we need to we need to. Help people get to that ultimate goal. So here it is, starting verse 10, chapter 3, Philippians. Let's read it. Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, Paul said, but I'm pressing on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God In Christ Jesus. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Affirmation gets me unstuck from dead-end routines in life that we all find ourselves in. Patterns of living that take us nowhere. Some of you have been on the same path for years of your life and it's taken you nowhere. And nobody's talking you off of that path. Listen, I don't want you to come in here and leave and your conversation never change. I want you to go home here in a minute and you're so bothered by the way you converse with your friends, family, children, husband, wife, that you find yourself really bothered and you find yourself learning, hey, I need to better myself in the area of communication. I need to talk a little bit better. What is the goal? Being like Jesus. and Jesus was a communicator. He talked. He knew how to converse. He did. Affirmation reminds people of what they know they need to be doing. Listen, some of you know what you need to be doing, but nobody's talking to you about what you need to be doing. We're too caught up in our own Christianity, man. I gotta be doing, but wait, there's people sitting in this church. You know in your heart what you ought to be doing in this church. Let me let me let me share something with you. Do you know what you should be doing, and why you're making excuses not to do it? Here, here's another way of looking at it. Why do people fail to do what they know they should be doing? Let me give you five reasons. Number one, they feel unqualified. I, I just I'm not fit for that, pastor. Can I give you something? I'm going to shoot your excuse down. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's not looking whether or not you have degrees after your name. He's looking if you're just willing to do it. He'll take care of the details. Listen, I can't preach. Aaron can't preach without the Holy Spirit of God. We know that. I'm very aware of that. I pray that every week. Lord, don't even think that I can stand up here and do what you've called me to do without your help. I am the most unqualified, Lord. I know that. I live with that reality every day of my life. But God said, I didn't call you to be qualified. Are you willing to do it? Yes. Yes. I'll fill, I'll fill in the blanks. You just. Are you willing to do it? Yes. See, we need some willing bodies to quit making excuses that, oh, well, you don't understand, Pastor, I'm really not qualified. I don't have... I don't have the training. I don't have the past. My past is so tattered. I, don't, I, I wouldn't even think about serving in the church. It's, it, there comes a time in your life where your excuses actually run out. Because if you say you're a Christian and you've been forgiven, then you, you hear what Paul said in Philippians? Those things which are behind me, I leave them there. I'm pressing on, man. I've got things I want to do for God. You know what you need to be doing. Here's the second reason why people don't do anything for the Lord. They don't know where to start. Where do I begin? Can I here here, here here I'm gonna shoot your excuse down? Just start. Just do it. Just do it. I remember the first time my pastor came up and said, You're gonna be preaching next Sunday night. First sermon I ever preached. I didn't know how to put an outline together. I didn't know I didn't know nothing. I didn't even have a computer. I didn't, I didn't have nothing. He said, What'd you do? I just did it. I just did it. I knew God had called me. I had no excuse. I just did it. I started. I started. When we came out here to open up this church, listen, there was no preliminaries getting. No, we were trying to raise money to get out here. What'd you do? 2005, September the 25th, we just did it. Metal chairs, hot, no air conditioner, no electricity. We just did it. We just did it. We didn't have a clue. We didn't know who was going to show up that morning. We got up, set church up, found some kind of whatever it was with blue carpet on it, made an altar. We didn't have a clue. But now look what. We just, so, so quit saying, well, I don't, know what, I don't know where to begin. Just do it. You say, it'll be wrong. Yes. But it'll be right. Here's the third reason why people don't do what they do. This is aspiring people. I want to, I'm hoping I'm inspire, aspiring you right now. That you're, you're like, oh man, I want to. I want. Here's the third reason. Challenges to new beginnings. You're just too comfortable. Well, I don't really don't want to. I like where I'm at in my Christian faith. Give me my notebook and my Bible and I just I'm good. I don't want to go outside of my 18 inches that I'm kind of living on right here. I don't want to I don't want to go outside of that this box. You're too comfortable. Here's a fourth reason. You may have to try harder, give it more, put more of yourself into it that you're unwilling to do. That's a problem. That's the that's the heart of the matter. I don't want to give so much because I got so much else going on. You mean to tell me you can't give God an hour, two, or three, a week doing what you know you ought to be doing? You can't fit God into an hour or two. When well, you say, I come to church, that's obedience. That's not service. you got to understand the difference. Here's a fifth reason. Maybe you just don't have the right people in your life to say, hey, you know what you ought to be doing. Why aren't you doing it? Maybe you've got people in there putting a wet blanket on you. Maybe you've went up to somebody and said, hey, you know what? Man, God's kind of leading me to do this in church. Oh, come on, really? Are you serious? They got people doing that already. Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm good. Man, I'm going to tell you what I don't want in my life. I don't want a bunch of wet blankets in my life. You know what I want in my life? I want somebody in my life that's going to blow on me and get that fire stoked. Yeah, go, man. You can do it. Come on. I'm amazed at the people that are doing morning devotions in this church. I'm amazed by that. You know why? Their willingness just to do it. They don't know where to do it, how to do it. But hey, who's going to do it next? I'll do it next Sunday. I'll do it. I'll do it. Nobody's looking at them and saying, eh, you know, you're kind of young. You, you, you really don't know the Bible that much. You're a kid. Come on, man. Let these adults do the Bible studies. I've heard some of these kids speak that's been just amazing to me. I don't want wet blankets throwing stuff on me and saying, you know, come on. heck." Let the, let, no, man. So let me end with this. And it's simple. Three ingredients. I'll give you the other three next week. So I'm going to kind of just leave you hanging out there, okay? Because let me tell you, let me me give you a little, can I give you a little snapshot in what's to come? Coming soon. Paul knew the art of aspiring, I mean uh, affirming people, but I'm going to tell you what he hits on next when he gets on into the letter. He has the art, the art of appealing to people. We do not know how to appeal to each other. Because, man, he builds old Philemon up and he said, hey, I got something I want to talk to you about. You got to to get this thing right, man. We don't know how to do that.